This is Fluid Truth, and I'm attorney Shirley Skyers Thomas. We explore a simple question of whether there's equity in the justice system. The content offered in this segment is personal reflection and interpretation. The views of my guests are not necessarily the views of Fluid Truth or Quinnipiac University. For clarity, this conversation has been edited. I am pleased to introduce Mr. James Fulton as my guest today. James is presently a substance abuse mental health counselor in the city of Bridgeport. He earned his bachelor's in human service and master's in clinical mental health counseling and received both after a period of incarceration. Additionally, he's working on his state license to practice therapy in the community on a private level. I'm so glad that James sat down to share his story with us here on Fluid Truth. Well, I'm James Fulton, and yes, I have visited the justice system in the state of Connecticut, but being there gave me a different twist on life and how once you leave society, you're just like an individual who is who has no rights. I would love to hear from you what your take is on equity in the justice system. And I realize that you have a story that might illuminate that a little better. So James, welcome. Thank you for coming to talk to me. I was sentenced illegally. I got sentenced to actually six years suspended after five, five, three years probation. And the max on my sentence was five years. So as I'm doing this time, I violate a few times, but I'm continually doing this time. So here it is 2009 or 10, I'm still doing time from 1997, which was not, uh, didn't sit right with me. So I ended up doing some, some footwork by finding, you know, asking for my mitts and different things. So while I was in, uh, at Osborne, they had this beautiful law library where, you know, you had all the cases, the trial cases and everything, and they had everything. But as time started going on, the library was less accessible. So you weren't able to go to the library on a daily basis or, and do the research you needed because people were beating their cases. It got really real. From my understanding now, they've taken that away. And even the books that you can have, there were certain books you could even have. Everything was screened before you got it. And if it was, they sent it back. Instead of going to play basketball, bocce ball, or whatever it is that they did in the yard, I went to the library. And every time the library opened, I was there. I was focused. (laughs) I submitted all my paperwork to state's attorney and my sentence actually got reversed. When I say reversed, they vacated the sentence, but they did not vacate the charge. The state of Connecticut in turn, vacated everything for me. Special parole, I was on special parole and doing time, incarceration time. How did you feel when you realized that you were serving more time than you should have been serving? Well, I didn't realize, I realized that the charge kept going, but what made me realize was the state's attorney said, James, you've done more time than you were supposed to do on this charge. And once I got back to the Superior Court in Norwalk, it was like, well, we're going to vacate the sentence. And that's basically it. I was like a little, I felt like 
wow, I didn't feel too well about that one. I was a little upset because I felt like, you know, that was my, I made a mistake, but you made a mistake too. And you took part of me that I could never get back. So, and I, I understand when people get these, uh, these sentences where they're wrong and they're incarcerated for years and years and years. And then when they get out, they get no reparations for it. I mean, but for me, it was, it was okay. Cause it wasn't, it was a lot of three years is a lot of time, but it wasn't like it was 20 years when my whole life was over. I wasn't giving up. And what facility were you in? I, who called Robinson Osborne. Uh, I went to J.B. Gates, you name it, Willard Cybolski, Virgin. Uh, I can't remember the one that's in right next to Big Cheshire. I've been to almost all of them, all on that same sentence. So when it was all said and done, I wanted to hire a lawyer to actually sue the state of Connecticut, which I was deterred from being that the repercussions behind what, if I did win, what would happen to me? So I decided to take my newfound freedom and run, which I did. It's been, I don't know, 11 years now. I haven't been incarcerated for 11 years. And within that time, I ended up getting my bachelor's, my master's uh, pardoned along the way. It wasn't easy. It was not easy. Tell me about the process for getting your pardon. Okay, so when I came home, I inquired because I know it's online, but I have a relative, Mikey Askew, who, uh, all right, cuz, it's time for you to get your pardon. And so we got the paperwork and I wrote it all up. I let him read it. The first time I didn't get my pardon, which was okay, which was okay because that's life. It's a process. You don't get everything you want in your life at the time you want it. But I was so determined to get it because I figured like this, I went back and got my bachelor's. I went back and got my master's in clinical mental health counseling. I can't get my license. I would, I would struggle to get my license with this part, without this, with this record. So I needed to get my pardon. So if it, how long it would have took me to get it, I would have continued to try and got it. And, but eventually I got it. So when did you actually receive the pardon? I'm going to say about 2018, 2017, 2018. After you came out, you went back to get your bachelor's. You went back to get your master's. Tell me about that process. What was the impetus for you to get your degrees? Okay, so I didn't want to go back to school. I did not. It was one of my father's wish, which he's passed away now. He was like, you need, I want you to get your bachelor's. The master's was something that I did. You got to get your bachelor's. Da, 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 and I did it. But unfortunately, he passed away before I got it. Uh, I tried to follow in his footsteps. He was a juvenile probation officer here in Bridgeport. And I could kind of say that he kind of paved the way. I was one of those strong-minded, I'm going to do what I want to do type of persons. And eventually, I kind of woke up. The light bulb came on. And I said, you know what? You can't do this by yourself. You have to listen to somebody. And eventually I did. I started thinking about the things that he said to me. I need, I want you to do this. You should do it this way. Do it, do it, do it. And I did it. And believe me, it worked. Even though there's a lot of adversity along the way, I 
pushed and pushed and cried and sweated and worked. And here I am. Talking about the job, was any of the challenge as it relates to the record that you had? Because I'm understanding that you didn't receive a pardon at that point. They were all for it. They actually assisted me. Um, they knew. I One thing that I do not do is I do not hide my past when it comes to that because later on down the line, it may come back to haunt you. So I'm going to tell you up front, this is what it is. I'd have no problems. I do my job well. But I am a very outspoken individual. And I think that being incarcerated has made me advocate a whole lot more for myself because you have no voice. You can say all you want, but you'll end up in SEG or a little bit more. You just never know. So we'll advocate for myself in a constructive way. So, yeah. So along this journey, and I do understand what you're sharing with me right now, it's been a journey. Mm-hmm. What's been some of the supports that you've held on to? I have a network of people, a big network. And I always tell myself, you're fortunate to have a plethora of individuals. I have family members, I have church individuals, I have businessmen, I have, you name it. There's, I could call, I use my phone and call a bunch of people if I'm down. And of course I have my therapist, which is my ace in the hole to keep me balanced. I think my biggest was the family because I think that, uh, I know that a lot of individuals like myself kind of get down and we need that structure. We need to know that we are supported no matter what we've done along the way. So yeah, I think that was the biggest. My father, my brothers were definitely there. Um, I have a few aunts that were in my corner, some younger cousins that I'm not, when I was there, I wasn't the person who liked visits because I hate to see them leave. But when they did visit, I would take the visit and take my blessing and enjoy it. So yeah. So you have such an inspiring story, but what's the work that you do now? What's the, um, I know you said you do counseling, but what's the counseling work that you do now? Okay, so right now I work for a methadone clinic and I basically, I'm a counselor too. Since I don't have my license yet, I'm a counselor too. I do individual sessions. I do, if you want to say talk screens and uh, community resource, if you need something, I'm, or basically it's like case management, but I do more therapy than case management. So uh, as we spoke a little earlier, I do some outreach, which I always like to go in the community from time to time and see what's out there. Um, yeah, I enjoy what I do. I feel uh, excited inside when I can see one of my clients say, you know, James, I did what you asked me to do. You, I did, and it came out right. And I feel good that I didn't use today. And that makes me feel good. Or I'm gonna leave this, uh, that's who I was gonna leave. So I was doing my exit interviews and all my clients were like, what? So when your clients are that receptive to you, you know you're doing a good job. That's how 
and I didn't, I didn't end up leaving the job, but so I still have the same clients. I still do what I do for them a hundred percent. Like I would do for anybody else. Yeah. So when you encounter people who have been in a similar circumstance to you, maybe those who are formerly incarcerated or those who had to kind of put their life back on track, mm -hmm. what do you say to them? So that's a very good question. Nine out of 10 times, I self-indulge where I've been. And I do it to inspire. I don't do it to gloat. I do it to inspire individuals that if I can do it, you can do it. So I do uh, pick up extra clients, not really clients, but people will stop me, James, I need to talk. Because I've been there. So they'll, they feel more comfortable with somebody who's experienced what they're going through versus the young one out of college because they have not experienced that uh type of atmosphere so i've lived it and i guess that's why i get some respect or most of the respect that i get from my clients and others so yeah i uh i don't turn anybody away if, even if you're not my client i will still do what i have to do for you i did a lot of charity work in the community that i live in I gave back, I did book back drive every August in the Greens Apartments in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And I loved every minute of it. Uh, I still do a lot of charity, but I do it in a different way. I do it with my photos. Um, I do have a lot of people who can't afford to get their photos taken for different things, headshots, this, that. And I'll do them for you for free just because I need to give back to the community as much as I can because I feel that I took a lot. So I give back. So my photography, right, is basically my self-care. And that's what I found that um, we all have to have an outlet and that's my outlet. So I meet people on the street or even my friends will call me, oh, my dad needs headshots, this and that. And then when we get there, James, how much do I owe you? You don't owe me anything. Now, I don't do that for everyone. I do have to, because I, I buy this equipment, I have to pay for it. <laughs> but I do, uh, I do do a lot. I stop people that look sad or, hi, how you doing? Would you like your photo taken today? Then we strike up a conversation. I might buy you coffee. And the next thing you know, I'm taking your photo and I get your email and I send them to you. Then I get these email backs. Thank you, sir. Da, da, da. Yeah. Oh yeah. Why is giving back so important to you? Giving back is the foundation of life. For me, you have to give it away. You wanna make somebody's day. I mean, I could take a job where I could make a lot of money. I don't need a lot of money. I just want to see people happy like I want to be happy. I want to see them smile like I want to smile. So that's why I give back. You just never know what a person may be going through at the time you meet them. And you might have made their day. Those are true words. Those yeah. are true words. So what's next on the horizon for you? So I'm understanding what you've been doing, where you've mm -hmm. come from. 
uh, the journey that has been one of perseverance, but what's next for you? So I have been contemplating two things. One, pursuing my doctorate. Two, going back, if I don't want the doctorate, getting another master's in the criminal justice system to see what I can do to assist the underprivileged. I would like to see the recidivism rate decrease. I would like to see the underprivileged uh, not look like, I hate to use the word cattle for slaughter, but in a sense, that's what they do. They're rounded up like cattle and they're putting kin, pens. I don't like to see that. I've been there, I know what it's like. So let's see if we can, we can assist the person and get them what they need, the resources they need versus then incarcerate them and they come back out and do the same thing over. We need to, we need to teach. And I think a lot of it is systemic between the families and how people are being raised. I mean, not everybody is in that category, but if we can get us all together and when I say us, but get people together and show them the right way, then maybe they'll do it. Some won't, but we can try it because what's going on now is not working. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you for being open about this. And I am certain that someone will listen and hear your authenticity and really connect with you in that way. So thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you. Thanks for listening in today. Special thanks to our executive producer, David DeRoche. Music is provided by Audio Hero from their Jazz Lounge album. To learn more about all of our podcasts, visit qu.edu slash podcast. You can listen to our podcast on the platform or app of your choice. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at QU Podcasts. If you have a story to share or something you want to talk about, find us on social media or shoot us an email. The address is qupodcasts at qu.edu. On the next show, I'll be sitting down with Sabrina Schuler program manager and advocate for youth and families in the foster care system. All right, that's it for today. Till next time.